Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Guest Community Church. I'm Josh Tillerosa, and it's Mother's Day. And moms, we just want to say we love you, we appreciate you, and I just encourage you, all of you watching, if you're able to, uh, give your mom a call. Uh, if you're able to give your mom a hug, do that. Tell her how much that she means to you. And I know for some, today is a difficult day. We we also just remember and pray for those of you who, who no longer have your moms with you. And so... Uh, maybe for some reason, even today, it might just be a painful day, a difficult day. Maybe there's a strain there. And so uh, I want to pray as we uh, continue. Father, thank you for our time. We pray you'd bless and use it, Lord, to instruct us and show us what you exactly what you want us to see. I pray for all the moms who are watching. I pray that they'd be encouraged today. I pray that they would be uh, filled with courage and um, that today would be a sweet uh, day of refreshment and joy for them. And, Lord, for each one of us to consider um, what the significance of this day is and help us to respond in light of that. So we commit all of this to you. We commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to turn our attention uh, this morning to a message uh, in our series of messages called The Difference, where we're looking at how the Christian movement has expanded and expanded and expanded. It's made a real difference in our world. And, and we're going to look today about uh, the current cultural feeling about the value of being a mother or or even just being a woman for that matter now i'm a man but i'm i'm raising this issue for all of us to consider what is the current cultural feeling about the value of of motherhood or being a woman there's a lot of ideas there's a lot of feelings sometimes it's tempting to turn to pop culture it certainly gives you an idea about what the culture thinks here's a lyric from a popular beyonce song called run the world and it's just it's a question phrased over and over. Who run the world? Girls. And it just says this over and over. And and so there's no question about what Beyonce feels about who's in charge and, and who runs the show here. Uh, another song by Katy Perry. Uh, it's, look at the lyrics here. I used to bite my tongue, hold my breath, scared to rock the boat, make a mess. So I sat quietly, agreed politely. This is actually sung by a, a pastor's daughter, uh, Katy Perry. Uh, she said, you you held me down, but I got up, already brushing off the dust. I got the eye of the tiger. Some of you know this song. Uh, she describes herself as a fighter dancing through the fire. 
because I'm a champion, she says, and you're going to hear me roar. So this song's called Eye of the Tiger. And in pop culture, there's a general sense and a feeling of just women rising up, 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 up to the top. Uh, some call it this. Some call it becoming a boss babe. That's a phrase that you hear culturally these days. Uh, women who are on top of the game, uh, they are described as the boss babe. Now, there's a struggle to establish the value between men and women in our society. There's a real struggle. For many years now, everyone is sort of trying to determine who's more valuable, which gender has the greater worth, and is it, is it men or is it women? And if you, if you sort of just do a, a, quick, a quick scan through history, then uh, you'd see that the value and the worth of women really has fluctuated a lot, depending on society. For example, in some cultures and societies, women have ruled as queens. So they're at the top. They have ruled as queens. The, the queen held the power in some societies and cultures. In others, uh, you'd see women are covered up. They're suppressed. They're, they're used uh, as they're, they're seen as low, and they're used as objects for pleasure. And then there's everything in between, and we know this. It seems that humanity... We humans, we, we have a hard time getting a, a stable grip on the value of women. And, and so I'm raising the tension today on this topic because I want to answer a really big question. Here it is. What's the difference that Christianity has made in establishing the worth of women? Like, has it made any difference at all? Uh, some would say it hasn't. Some would say it has. And I want to look at it. This question. We've actually been answering really similar questions every Sunday as we have been in this series of messages called The Difference. And we started on Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, by asking the question, what difference has Jesus and Christianity made in the whole world? And some would say that religion just sort of ruins everything. And so we're looking at a, a serious set of questions. And really, the heart of it is this question, is the world better or worse off because of Christianity? And I want to invite you to take a look back at some of the messages in this series. First, we looked at the resurrection and the power that sparked worldwide change from there. Then we looked at how God pushes back darkness in entire countries through the influence of godly leaders who had become Christians. Then, last week, we looked at the really the incredible compassion done in our world by people motivated by Jesus Christ and the change that he's made. And so... The question today, does Christianity do women any favors? Or does it suppress them? Does it help them? Now, if you're not really sure, then I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, visiting our site today and you're, you're online and you're watching this message because I think you're going to be fascinated by the story we're going to look at today. It's found in the Bible and the New Testament. We've been in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be back in Acts chapter 16. And so Acts is found. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. The New Testament is is the second division of the Bible. And so, the second major division of the Bible. So when you go to Acts chapter 16, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that the, the gospel changes the economy of human worth. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes the economy of human worth. So let's look at this from Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 11. It reads this, From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi a Roman colony and a leading city of, of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. Now, this is us sort of walking alongside some traveling missionaries. Paul, a man named Silas, uh, there, were, there were others that were traveling with them. Uh, but at this point, this is, a, this is on Paul's second mission, missionary journey. 
And he's taking the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, outside of the, the Jewish regions into the Gentile world, deeper and deeper now into the heart of the Roman Empire. So he's heading into uh, Philippi, a Roman colony, okay? And it says that he and the team stayed there for several days. Now, here's just a little uh, map that you can see. This is there's a photo from a, a video of a man who's illustrating the life of Paul, and so that's why he's dressed up in the in the in the, the garb of what Paul would have been wearing. This is just an actor, but but the red arrow there shows them sailing through the Aegean Sea, and that's uh, labeled as Greece. But they call the whole region there Macedonia. So you see the reference here in the scripture to uh, Macedonia. And then when they arrived, the gospel now has officially landed in Europe because there was a, a movement from uh, the region it had been in and uh, really Asia Minor over to uh, Europe. Now, this is really exciting. The first sort of uh, opportunity for, for the Christians to set foot on European uh, soil. This is exciting. Macedonia was an influential Greek city. It's, it had formidable cities uh, including uh, the, the town of Philippi. Uh, so that's where we're going to focus in on the, the, the town, the city of Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. So verse 13, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. And so apparently there weren't any men or enough men to form a synagogue. The pattern was that Paul would head to a city, and he would find the Jewish synagogue, the place of Jewish assembly. And to form a synagogue, you needed ten Jewish men. And so there weren't enough men in that city to form a uh, Jewish synagogue. And so Paul, instead, he finds out, since there's no synagogue here, he decides to go looking by the river. Jews would normally worship by a river, this is for ceremonial washing. And so he heads to the river, and there was these women that Paul found, there were these women that Paul found there. So, this community, uh, were, this Jewish community, were lacking um, men to lead them, to teach them, and so these women were there at the river, taking initiative to learn, to grow. And so Paul discovers, in verse 13, actually in verse 14, he discovers this small gathering of women. Now, someone might say, you know, this is not a very exciting starting place for the spread of the gospel in Europe. A river right there, just beside a river. I mean, the, really, the whole gospel spreads into Europe, starting with a group of women beside a river? Yes. And, and in fact, uh, we actually can trace the impact of the movement of, of the Christian movement uh, through and oftentimes um, flowing through the lives of key ladies. And so even John chapter 4, a good example of this. Have you read how Jesus first revealed his identity as the Messiah, the Savior that God has sent? He revealed that first to a woman who was an outcast, drawing water out of a well. You find that story in John chapter 4. Or have you heard about how some women have been missionaries all across the globe bringing the gospel for the very first time to brand new regions. God has been using women for these purposes to spread the gospel. So this shouldn't be a surprise since in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, Paul writes these words. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, now without a doubt, there is equality in the sight of God. Men and women stand on equal footing before the Lord. Now, we're about to look at one of the most beautiful stories of a woman finding liberation in Jesus Christ. And at the time, people 
treated women very, very poorly. Women were so dominated by men. No women uh, in, the, in, in Paul's day really had the right to uh, exchange their religion. Uh, Pharisees, these were the strict Jewish religious leaders who, who had a loud voice in the religious uh, scenery. Uh, they wouldn't even preach to women. So the strictest Jews who were legalistic, they wouldn't even preach their messages to women. Here's a quote from a common Pharisee prayer. It's, God, I thank thee, I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And so just think about the culture where Paul is bringing this message of hope. Uh, how would you like to be in a society where men think it's deplorable to have been born a woman? That's the culture that, that the gospel was breaking into. Some have accused Paul, who was one of the key missionaries that, that we're reading about in the book of Acts, some have accused Paul of being a male chauvinist. And and if you were to sort of cherry pick from the Bible, just some statements here and you flip there and you, you cherry pick statements from, from the Bible or specifically just focusing on Paul's letters in the New Testament, cherry pick a verse here and there, uh, it's, you know, you'll, you'll arrive at the wrong conclusion. <laughs> and, the core message would get distorted if you just cherry-pick out of context some statements from Paul's letters. In reality, there are, there are clear, God-given roles, different for men and for women. But always there's, there's equality in the sight of God. The, the very fact that Paul is, is eager to speak with this group of women shows that his approach is different from that of, of his culture. His approach to women was, was influenced by Jesus, not by the trends of his day, but Paul himself, he was teaching this group assembled by the river. It's incredible to see what God did next. Take a look, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household was baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And it says, And she persuaded us so before this encounter you have this woman Lydia and Lydia is it says it describes some things about her but before this encounter Lydia already grew an interest in God she she didn't have all the details about Jesus in her heart she didn't have this story about Jesus but she was already seeking to know God God was very kindly moving the events of Lydia's life to be positioned for this encounter to occur. As a matter of fact, God actually redirected Paul, this missionary, who was the leader of the, the missionary team. Uh, he, God redirected Paul and his entire team so they would arrive at this city at this exact moment to meet this woman. Because if you read earlier in this chapter, every time Paul and his missionary team tried to travel in a different direction, God kept sort of slamming the door shut, slamming the door shut, and so, at one point, he wanted to go further into Asia and in, in, towards the east and northeast into Asia. And the, it says that the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him go. And so, uh, and then God gives him a dream to set sail for Macedonia to come across and to land there in this city. So, he arrives in Philippi, but this was not Paul's original intention. But it's clear this was the only path that God was allowing Paul to take. And it's clear it's because God wanted to reach Lydia's heart. He wanted to impact this woman's heart. And so God closed off 
all other routes, and he, he directed Paul and the team away from Asia in order to redirect Paul to this spot beside the river. And look at what it says in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. God is actually the one who reaches our hearts. He's the one who opens our hearts. He's the one who brings us to salvation. He's the one that draws us to him. In fact, I'd ask you to consider that. How is God working in my heart? Is he opening my heart to him? Or how has he done that in the past? Maybe you you consider yourself a Christ follower. You know that you're uh, one of Jesus' followers. And you can remember back the time when God opened your heart to him. This is what's happening here in Lydia's story. And maybe this is similar to your story. Maybe you know there's a God out there and you respect him, but, but you don't feel like you have all the details yet. You, it might be that God is He's moving some things around in your life. He's reordering your priorities in your life so that you're positioned to best learn about him. Have you ever thought, these things that happen to me, I, I know it can't be a coincidence. There's got to be some involvement from God. You know, it's, I've heard this over and over from people. There's strange things going on. It's like God's reading my mail and, and, you know, this seems so, so much of a coincidence, so, so mysterious. Well, you know, the reality is if God is working in your heart, if He's opening it up, don't shrug it off. Don't, don't close your heart. Let Him bring new life right to you. So in Lydia's story here in the Bible, we see that her whole household, they put their faith in Jesus. And what a, what a glorious beginning. She and her whole household has said, was the beginning of the church in Philippi, the first church established in Europe in the home of this woman, Lydia. This little prayer gathering by the river turned into the, into the first church. How exciting. After her house, um, you know, responded, her household responded, this would be the place where the church would gather and meet. And later on, that church grew and grew, and there eventually men were reached by the gospel. They got involved in the, in the work of the ministry, and it became a source of immense joy for Paul. You know, I know that's because when you read the book of Philippians, that, that, that's the letter to the church in Philippi. You see this theme in the letter. Later on, as you read, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, years later, he's writing back this letter, you see this theme of joy, because Paul is overjoyed at what sprung up there, right, in Philippi. You know what's interesting about Lydia? Uh, she's described as a dealer in purple cloth, it says. A dealer in purple cloth. This was an unusually expensive and desirable product to sell. And so Lydia was probably, we learned from this uh, information, that she was probably an enterprising businesswoman. She may have been really successful at her work. It seems like she was an influential woman and in a prominent city, the city of Philippi. She was sort of like that first century boss babe. I mean, that's again, that's our cultural term for women who have power. You know, she was probably a powerful, prominent woman. And do you think she may have gathered a sense of self-worth from her work, from her uh, her business, her trade, especially in a male-dominant society? Of course she did. And if so, that that power and position, all of that was reoriented when she met Jesus. Suddenly, her primary identity and worth came from being a daughter of God. So she experienced respect from Paul, which if you contrast it to the legalistic Pharisees, uh, those traditional legalistic uh, leaders who looked down on woman, women, this interaction with Paul was very different. And so what's happening now in our society today is we have this constant exchange of 
men versus women and who deserves to be on the top? Who, who deserves to be in a position of influence and power and prominence? Well, when Christianity came along, we don't raise one gender over another. It's not that women need to be liberated from men or, or, or men from women. It's honestly that we all need spiritual liberation. We need to be freed from our sin. And we need to be freed from the belief that what we do gives us worth. This is honestly something that that gets us tripped up in life. We think that our identity is wrapped up in who, you know, in, in how much we have, in what title we have, in what positions we hold, in what degrees we've earned, and on and on. But we need to be freed from the belief that what we do gives us worth. Men and women, you have equal value in God's eyes. We can find freedom when we realize we actually have full acceptance to be what God has designed us to be, male or female. I'd like to show you a video of a woman named Zaray, and it's going to highlight Zaray's spiritual journey. Now, she started attending OCC uh, over two years ago, and at the time she was actually living in the city of Santa Clarita. This is about an hour and 40 minutes away. She was dating a guy from Riverside, and so... Uh, as they were dating, uh, they got involved in our church. And so I want to show you this video. She's going to share some about some of the initial conversations that that she and I had a few years ago uh, at our church after some of the services. And she eventually became a part of Valley Lights Church. Uh, it's where she lives. It's a church that we actually started almost two years ago in Santa Clarita. It's a great, it's sort of a great God story. And so take a look. My visit to OCC wasn't intentional. Uh, I did it as um, an opportunity to get um, my significant other and his dad to hang out. But I remember how I felt leaving and having this distinct idea that that message wasn't for my boyfriend, it wasn't for his dad, that message was for me. I was the one that was supposed to be there. And that thought, is when you know I just felt like God is talking to me he wants me to come back I went to service one day and I don't know what came over me but I see Josh and I like tell my boyfriend like give me a sec I need to go talk to Josh and you know I asked the source himself where can I find where can I find a church that's like this <laughs> um, and he asked me where like Santa Clarita, you know, Six Flags. He's like, oh, we're starting a church there. And, and I, I had this very, like, just very weird, like, what? Like, I, I didn't say it like that to him, but, you know, my brain pretty much exploded. I was that emoji, like, what? <laughs> um, I was that emoji of just, I could not, I couldn't believe that's true. You know, I walked away from that conversation terrified. <laughs> It's a little, it's it's a little scary when you see that God is just like, hey, I'm going to make it happen. Had it not been for OCC, who was there and created such a welcoming environment for me and a safe space for me to like figure out where I am in my spiritual journey, had they not done that? I don't know where I'd be right now as far as my walk with God. I was able to open up 
to um, the launch team and um, and able to share the troubles that I go through day to day and you know I created great friendships with Jackie. One of the biggest things that I was wrestling with is how to be a boss babe you know uh, live this feminist life and uh, how to do that well with God first and I just couldn't I couldn't balance the scales. Um, so seeing Jackie and just seeing how motivated she is and how driven she is um, and how kind she is and patient and just seeing her live her life and how she would tackle challenges and problems and also seeing that she's not perfect and that she makes mistakes, um, that really resonated with me that this is possible. I knew from the very beginning, sitting down with Aaron and meeting Jackie for the first time in the, that Panera, where Aaron was giving me like an introduction to the heart attitudes and just overall what you guys are about. And she did the pie chart. And it was, you know, at the end it's like, he doesn't want a piece, he wants the whole pie. And in my brain, as soon as he said that, I could have, I, I could have listed all the things that I knew like met, giving those things up or, you know, surrendering them. Relationships, friendships, and financial matters. And those things were huge. I feel like they were a huge part of my identity. And um, I felt that if I gave them up, I would be changing who I am. And I wasn't sure if necessarily at that time I thought it would be for the better or not. Yes, I, I have recently given the whole pie. It's so difficult for me to articulate what it is that I'm feeling now versus how I felt it's a peace, like an inner peace. Coming from a person who's anxious all the time, like all the time about anything, um, it, it, knowing that I'll be okay and that uh, God is going to figure things out because he has a plan for me, like he's in control, I'm not in control, I, I have faith that you know, he is real and he's in charge of everything. Well, praise God for this story. Amazing to see how God moved big things to reach a seeking heart. I mean, isn't that just like Lydia's story? God moved major things in Zeray's life because he was seeking her heart. He was opening up her heart. Now, what kind of impact does Christianity have in our world? At the beginning, we asked the question, is Christianity chauvinistic and, and suppressive of women? I want you to see this research from John Dickerson. Uh, in our world today, in the 10 best nations for women's rights, 75% of the population is Christian. With issues like equal pay, right to vote, right not to be sold into marriage, basic access to education, protection from physical harm, those are core issues. Now here's another point in Dickerson's research. In the 10 worst nations for women's rights, 8% of the population is Christian. This comes from a book called Jesus Skeptic by John Dickerson. Now in most of these nations, Christianity has been outlawed. And in some of these countries, women are denied basic rights, like driving a car. They, they may be sold into marriage, 
or, or receive horrific mutilations or punishments at a whim. They're viewed and treated as, as objects. And no matter how much you respect other world, world's cultures, you probably don't want your wife or daughters living in one of those situations. Now, there is an astonishing connection between basic human rights and places where you can find large numbers of followers of Jesus. And this is a matter of statistics. It's not opinion. Now, we learn a great deal from another encounter in Philippi, and and it highlights once again the difference that the Christian movement has made in society. Christ followers are called to raise the value of all people, even even at a cost. So I want to show you, moving on, Acts 16, verse 16. They're still in Philippi. It says, Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling, okay? So as Paul is moving further into this new territory, once again, he's met with opposition. You can almost always expect this to be the case, whether a church or an individual, the work of God in, in a new situation or in a new territory or a new life will typically stir up some opposition. And in this case, it shows up through a slave girl who has this spirit guiding her from the inside. And children in those days were viewed as an object for profit. And in this case, this girl could give insight because of the spirit that was inside of her. So she could give insight that brought her owners financial gain. And sadly, this is still the case for many uh, people today, for children who are preyed upon. And most often, it's women and children who are the main targets for predators who who objectify people for, for human trafficking, for pornography, for child labor. And, and again, it's for selfish gain. It's for powerful people to gain more and profit off of, of, of these um, women and children. And so this is an issue here and now in our day and age. But we even see this going on right here in the first century. So look at verse 17. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, now, remember, this, this slave girl has a spirit inside of her. Listen to the spirit speaking now. These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. So, uh, this is her message, okay? It says she did this for many days. Now, the enemy is speaking right through uh, her, and the enemy is declaring the truth. But it was intended to be an annoyance and a frustration and Paul and Silas, they didn't need the help of this little this little girl and the spirit that was prompting, you know, sort of um, promoting their ministry. They they didn't need the help to carry out their ministry. So it says this: Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, "I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her," and it came out right away. Now, it's not always the case when you study this area in Scripture when there's a confrontation with a demonic. It's always the case with Jesus, where when Jesus would command a spirit to come out of a person, always the person would, would experience a deliverance, but not this, not always with the apostles. Once you have Jesus' followers, his disciples and apostles, who begin to uh, set people free from evil spirits, sometimes you see sort of a struggle back and forth. Some spirits wouldn't come out right away. Sometimes this required more prayer. Sometimes God was doing something through the delayed deliverance of a person. But in this case, Paul commands the spirit to leave this girl, and immediately it left right away at Paul's command. Now, good news, right? I mean, this girl is set free. But this creates a problem for Paul and Silas. So take a look. 
Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, it says they seized Paul and Silas. So this shows the owner's cruelty. The owner of this this girl didn't care at all about this girl. She was an object. She provided money. This was this was a tool. This wasn't a person in, in the owner's eyes. This was not a little girl. But Paul saw beyond that. So it says this. It says they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. This is there's would be two Roman officials. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. And actually, this is true. This was illegal for Roman citizens to practice foreign religions that weren't approved by the state. So, that part is true, but it is not true that they were creating a disturbance. And so, here's this fabrication. And then verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against them, against Paul and his team, Paul, Silas, and any others that were with them. And it says, And the chief magistrates, these two officials, these Roman officials, stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. So, and and it says, After they had severely flogged them, this is to be whipped, to be whipped with a cord of ropes, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. And receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So this is the most secure area of the prison. So Paul and Silas, they pay a real price for their ministry and their compassion towards this young slave girl. But I want to back up. Notice this. Paul, he notices the girl who is following them around. He hears what she's saying. He realizes this is being motivated by the enemy, and he sees the deeper need. When others just sort of objectify this girl, Paul sees the value. He sees the person, and he calls the evil spirit out in order to get to that person. He sees, he sees her. And often, compassion, this type of compassion and care, comes with a real cost. We looked at that last week. But here, Paul and Silas go to prison. For it Now, why? Why go to so much trouble? Why put yourself in harm's way? Well, this little girl, she's set free. She gets liberated. And this chapter ends with a miracle that leads to life change and total transformation of the jailer who was responsible for guarding Paul and Silas and had beaten, taken part in the beating of these men. It says that the jailer who, who looked over them, one of my favorite scenes in all of the Bible, this jailer... He hears the gospel message after after a miracle is performed and God releases them miraculously from prison. Uh, Paul and Silas preach the gospel to this jailer who who is open to hearing the message. And the jailer, it says, washes their wounds. The wounds that he himself had helped to inflict. And Paul ends up baptizing this jailer, this man and his household. This is powerful, transformative stuff. Now here's the point. Both men and women are a part of God's plan to make a difference in the world. In fact, I want to back up. Luke chapter 8, in Jesus' ministry, you can see this point. When we back up and we see the traveling team that went with Jesus to do ministry, Luke chapter 8, 
verses 1 through 3. It says, Afterward, he was traveling from one town, this is Jesus, one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, that's the twelve disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. They're, they're actually helping fund the work of Jesus in his ministry. God has designed his kingdom to advance both through faithful men and through faithful women. And all people have inherent worth because God created us. And that inherent worth, it calls Christians to rise up to stop the exploitation of people like we saw Paul do in Acts 16 with this slave girl. We support an organization called Rebirth Homes as a church. And so I want to invite you to check out their webpage. You can see and just by going to Rebirth Homes online, you can find that. Here's a picture of their logo. This is a human trafficking ministry, a local nonprofit ministry that we help uh, to support. Because this ministry stops the exploitation of women. And it's a ministry we believe in, that we support. And so even your generosity to our church here can go even further to help ministries like this. Now, how do you think God is asking you to respond today? The first would be this. Is your next step to become a Christian and to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Maybe you can identify with Lydia from Acts 16 and her story. Or maybe Zaray on that video that we showed. Maybe it's time to stop trying to give Jesus just a little slice of your life. Maybe it's time to give him the whole pie, the whole life. Give him your whole life, your whole heart. You might need some help defining what it really means to be a Christian. So on your connection card, uh, you can just let us know. Or on Church Center, you can let us know uh, that you'd like to learn more how to, on how to become a Christ follower. You'd like to clarify what that means. Uh, we will certainly reach out to you this week if you indicate that on your uh, connection card or on Church Center. Also, second next step would be maybe you need to straighten out your thinking about the worth of other people in your life. Maybe you realize, as we've been looking at this, maybe you realize that you've elevated yourself over other people in your life, and, and maybe it's time that you need to look at them as having the same worth as you, because God created them. Thanks for joining us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to look again at the difference that Christianity has made in our society, in our culture, in our world. The difference is undeniable, and we thank you, Lord, for the, the way you've worked uh, powerfully bringing the gospel first to a woman named Lydia and how through her home a ministry center began the first church in Europe and Lord we thank you for the uh, the value and the worth that you've placed on on the women in our lives and the children around us as well Lord we pray that you would help us to be a part of protecting and uh, and seeing that your work is accomplished in and through each person that you've created and so Lord we thank you for uh, the reminder that you've given us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.